Well, good morning, and uh, I just want to take a minute to remind us to remember what July 4th is really about. It's not just barbecues and fireworks. It's about the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed by the forefathers of this nation, who founded this nation on Christian principles and the, the, the principle that they would be able to worship God as God directed them and not the way the state directed them. So that freedom was bought with a lot of blood and tears, and we need to remember it and we need to recognize what it's really about. Doesn't, I'm not saying we shouldn't have fun, that we shouldn't have barbecues and fireworks and all those kind of things. But at the bottom of it, we need to remember what it's really about. Amen? Okay. Now, that's all the preaching I'm going to do. The rest of it is just going to be teaching. Uh, in the spirit of Pastor Burt's decision to have summer reruns this summer, I'm going to talk about a rerun of something that I did in 2004. And the title of the message is The Master Key. The Master Key. And I've got a lot of scriptures and uh, limited amount of time. So on some of these, uh, we're, I, I, I'm gonna just, just going to read them. I'm not really going to give you time to search for them in your Bible and, and keep up with me. So if you want to know what they are, if you could just make a note of the address of the scripture, and we can move along pretty quickly. Some of them we will actually read together, but most of them will just be going right along. Okay? The Master Key. Um, I have two foundation scriptures for the Master Key. The Master Key for all the promises that God has promised us in His Word is righteousness. And righteousness is, to some people, kind of a scary word, you know? They think that that means that you've never committed to sin or you've never said a bad word or, you know, you're just living a real straight and narrow life. And there's nobody can condemn you for anything you've said or done. Well, that's not really what righteousness is. So we're going to get into that a little bit and find out what it is and what it isn't. But I want to start with these two scriptures. The first one is 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, For he made him, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Jesus. You know, that's all it is. That's all it is. And that's how it come about. If you are born of the Spirit of God, you are righteous. That instant. You never have to do anything else to be righteous. The second one is Romans 3.22, which says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, because there's no difference. So no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, if you're born again, you are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for you. It's kind of hard sometimes to, take that, to really take that in. I have to confess to you that when I first did this message in 2004, in June actually of 2004, 
it was a result of a class that I taught on righteousness and the research that went into that. And prior to that, well, I'll say that that was an absolute revelation to me. And it changed my life forevermore once I grasped that principle that God has said that if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you receive His righteousness into your life. So uh, this is kind of a pet uh, principle to me because of how it has changed my life forever and ever. I'll never be the same. Now, I hope that after you hear this message, you won't either, that you'll accept this principle the same way I did if you're born again. And if you're not born again, that you'll want to accept this principle and that you'll avail yourself of the opportunity of being born again through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Okay, that's a preamble. <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny. Maybe I better tell my joke. I always have a joke. Maybe that'll make you laugh. If you've heard this joke before, laugh anyway. It makes me feel better, okay? Uh, there was this Sunday school teacher that was teaching this classroom full of pre preschool children up to about age five. And she was trying to teach them a principle of how you get to heaven. So she asked the class, and there were 20 or 30 of them in there, and she asked the class, if I gave away all my possessions and gave, the proceed, gave it all to the poor, would that get me to heaven? The whole class said, no, 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 no. And she said, well, if I gave all my money and tithed and went to Sunday school and church every Sunday, would that get me to heaven? No, 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 no. They all knew that that wasn't the way. So then she asked the question, well, what do you say I would have to do to be able to get into heaven? little five-year-old boy in the back jumped up and said, you've got to be dead. Success. Okay, we want to talk about what righteousness is. And, you know, there are some thousands of promises in the Bible that belong to those who are in the kingdom. And you're in the kingdom the moment you're born again, whether you, you're alive or dead. You have eternal life at that moment. Well, first of all, it's the centerpiece for receiving all of God's promises. It's the, it's the, uh, it makes me think of a lazy Susan that you set in front of a table and it's got all kinds of goodies on it and all that, you know, and it spins around and you pick out the goodies you want. Well, that's kind of what this is. That's the centerpiece. Righteousness is the centerpiece that lets you choose what you want to receive from Jesus, uh, from God of his promises to you. So it's an important concept. Number two, it's being justified. Romans 3.26 says, To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just, He, Jesus, might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, you know, sometimes we talk a lot of Christianese, you know, and we say these words like, propitiation and justification and all these things and for a long time I didn't really know what those things meant you know I said them and I thought I knew what they meant but I didn't really well justification is a very important principle so I found this definition many years ago of what justification is and it's the best definition I've ever heard so I'm going to read it really slowly 
and I want you to really pay attention to what it means to be justified. We're justified through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice to us, for us. So it's really important that you understand what that sacrifice really did. Justification is a forensic term opposed to condemnation. We all know what condemnation is, right? Well, this is the exact opposite of condemnation. As regards its nature, it's the judicial act of God by which he pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ and accounts, accepts, and treats them as righteous in the eye of the law, i.e., as conformed to all its demands. In addition to the pardon of sin, justification declares that all the claims of the law are satisfied in respect to the justified. All the claims of the law. Think about the Old Testament law and all the rules and regulations there were. Well, justification satisfies all those. It is the act of a judge and not of a sovereign. The law is not relaxed or set aside. God's law is never set aside. I lost my place. Oh, but is declared to be fulfilled in the strictest sense. And so the person justified is declared to be entitled to all the advantages and rewards arising from perfect obedience to the law. You know there was only one perfect, right? Jesus Christ, our Savior, was the only perfect. But we get to be treated just like Jesus because of Him. It proceeds on the imputing or crediting to the believer by God Himself of the perfect righteousness, active and passive, of His representative and surety, Jesus Christ. Justification is not the forgiveness of a man without righteousness, but a declaration that he possesses a righteousness which perfectly and forever satisfies the law, namely, Jesus Christ's righteousness. That's pretty good stuff. That's something that every one of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is entitled to. Not just entitled to, you have it. Whether you claim it or not, you have it. It's yours. All you have to do is receive it and live in it. So, that's part of what it is. Righteousness is, very simply, right standing with God. When God looks at you, He looks at you through a Christ-colored veil. He sees your righteousness as Jesus Christ's righteousness. It's being able to stand before God without guilt, without shame, and without inferiority. Anybody ever have guilt, shame, or inferiority? I've got them all. I've had them all. But now that I understand this, I have the ability to stand against those things when they try to come against me. I can cast them down and declare that I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ my Savior. That's an important thing. You know, <clears throat> when I first started studying righteousness, I, I thought to myself, boy, this is too good to be true. It's just too good to be true. But then the Holy Spirit showed me, well, salvation's too good to be true, too. When you think about it, you know, 
it's just almost too good to be true. A lot of people that I've led to the Lord, you know, they, the common comment is, is it that simple? Is it that easy? Is that all there is to it? The answer is yes. That's all there is to it. It's that easy, it's that simple, and it's available to any person. If you're alive and breathing, salvation is available to you. So, sometimes the way to, to understand something or to understand the definition of something is not just to understand what it is. Sometimes you have to understand what it isn't. Anybody ever do that? <clears throat> if you look up a word in a dictionary, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> if you look up a word in a dictionary, they always give you some synonyms, right? Words that mean the same thing or a similar thing to the word that you're looking at. Well, it also gives you antonyms. The antonyms are all the things that it isn't. So it's good sometimes to understand what something is not. Well, what righteousness is not is, first of all, behavior. You know, you've heard people say, well, he needs to get some righteousness or... He's not living in righteousness or whatever. Well, it isn't about behavior. It's not about what you say or do. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is something that was declared to be yours by God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not about behavior. and It's not holiness. You know, a lot of people think, well, to be righteous, you've got to be really holy. You know, sometimes holier than thou. You know, you've, you've seen people like that that just give off this air that I'm holy and y'all, y'all are beneath me. Well, that's not righteousness. Holiness just means being of the same mind of God. That's what holiness is. To think like God thinks. Because God is holy, right? So if you think like God thinks, then your thoughts are holy thoughts just like His thoughts are holy thoughts. That's all holiness is. It's not something that you can earn. Romans 4, 3 through 5 says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Accounted to him. Not because of what he did, other than that he believed God. Now to him to, who works, oh, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And to, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So it's not something you can earn. It's not good works, praying, tithing, going to church. All those things are good. But they are not righteousness. Good works are the result of righteousness. They're not the cause of righteousness. So, you know, all the things that we think that we need to do to be righteous, we don't really need them to be righteous. But righteousness causes us to do them. It's important that we understand that. So, now we know what it is and what it isn't. Uh, in my class, when I was teaching this class, I'd ask for questions about that time. And... There would be a lot of them. So I'm not going to ask you all that because we might be here all day answering all the questions. How do we get it? 
There's only one way. Romans 3, 21 to 26. Can you put that up? Because I don't have 21 with me. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. In other words, this is telling us how we receive righteousness apart from the law. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, for there's no difference. In other words, there's no difference between Randy or me or Kara or my wife. There's no difference. We all receive righteousness in exactly the same way. Whether we're living a good life or a bad life, if we're born again, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we'll deal with that situation a little later. And Romans 4.3 says... For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You know, it's an accounting term. Uh, Where's Taylor? He's our accountant person. Oh, he's in the booth. Okay. Well, I'm not an accountant, but I know that there are credits and there are debits. And so when something gets credited to the account, that's a good thing. And this is credited to, accounted to him for righteousness. When we're born again, righteousness becomes our birthright. Our birthright. We all understand what a birthright is, right? When I, I became part of my dad's family, I became an heir to what he owns. It's a birthright. And so uh, righteousness becomes our birthright when we're born again. We become joint heirs with Jesus. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs with Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. It's important for us to understand, and I didn't understand this for a long time, that you are as righteous right now, this minute, as you will ever be. As you'll ever be. If you sin, you were righteous before you sinned. If you're born again. If you sinned, you were righteous before you sinned. You were righteous even while you were sinning. That's a hard one to get, isn't it? And you're righteous after the sin. Now, we have to remember that righteousness isn't something that we earn. Righteousness is a gift. There's only one way to receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's through His sacrifice. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to make it better. You can't do anything. It's accounted to you. By decree of of God the Father. You can't earn it. So, the question you always get about this point is, well, golly, if I am the righteousness of Christ and I can sin, can I do just anything I want to do and I'll still be righteous? This makes people really think, you know. Well, the short answer is yes. You can sin and still be righteous. You cannot sin and still be righteous. Your spirit, your born-again spirit, 
was righteous the minute you were born, born again. But we have a soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and we have a body. And we've been programmed through this world system for as long as we've lived before we get born again that some things are one way and some things are another way and you have to pay attention to that. But 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, your, your, your spirit is never unrighteous once you're joined with Jesus Christ. Once you're born again, your spirit becomes united with His spirit and you are righteous from then on, no matter what. But unfortunately, our, our soul our mind, will, and emotions have been contaminated for all the years of our life and have programmed us to think unrighteous. We have a sin consciousness instead of a righteousness consciousness. <clears throat> so, we can sin, but we don't have to. We are empowered through the new birth to resist the temptation to sin. And, you know, I used to say, well, I can't do that. I can't resist the temptation to sin forever and everything. But the, but the truth is that I can. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and by listening to His leadership as I'm confronted with the temptation to do something that I shouldn't do. And if you're born again, you have that same Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you if you'll listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Your mind, before you're born again, is conformed to the world system. How many people know that the world system is contaminated by sin? I mean, it's everywhere you look. I guess I'm the only one that sees that. Oh, okay, okay. Just checking, just checking. It's contaminated by sin. And even though you get born again and your spirit is brand new and your spirit is righteous, you have to transform your mind to begin to think like God thinks instead of like the world thinks. And it's, that's not an easy thing to do because we're bombarded on a consistent basis with all these things all these negative things that are negative to our spirit and to our soul. So, how do we do that? How do we combat all that world system stuff? I'm trying to see how much time I got. I'm going to make it. Contaminated by all this world system stuff. And it comes at you from the newspapers, from magazines, from television, from news and you know it's just everywhere movies it's everywhere and there's only one way that you're able to renew your mind and that's through the word of god and you know it's not enough just to come on sunday morning and listen to pastor give a give us a good anointed word and say yeah that's good you know that's good but then after that 45 minute sermon or whatever it is you walk out into the world again and you got 23 hours of 
all kinds of things that are against, that are opposed to what you've just been taught in that 45 minutes. So we have to make a concerted effort to cast down those things that try to tell us things that are in opposition to what's God, what God's Word says. And in order to know when to cast those things down, you have to know what the Word says. You have to make an effort to, to, to learn, to read, to study, to listen, to do what you can do to fill your mind with the, the principles of God's Word and not the principles of the world. And it's really important. What happens when a righteous person sins? Does everybody know that you're not a sinner if you're born again? Yeah? Thank you, Josh. But you sin, right? Uh, anybody that didn't sin yesterday, raise your hand. <laughs> well, I put my hand down too, because I did too. But we're not sinners. We're saints who sometimes sin. So what happens when a righteous person sins? We have to remember that when we do, that's not our spirit that's sinning. It's our soul. Our soul is what's sinning. Our soul is not righteous. It has to be renewed. The first thing that happens when we do is we no longer feel righteous. We no longer feel saved. We no longer feel justified. What are feelings? Feelings are your emotions, right? They're part of your soul. They're not part of your spirit. They're part of your soul. They're part of that part of you that needs to be renewed to the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And we have to have faith in what God's Word says about my righteousness. We have to believe it. And if we believe it, we have to do something with it. You know, James says, Faith without works is dead. Well, what are the kind of works that we need to do in order to demonstrate our faith is real? We're going to come to that in a little bit. The third thing that happens is Satan accuses us. Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Satan works overtime, not only to accuse us before God, but to accuse us in our own, in our own thought processes. Did that ever happen to any of you? You know, Satan reminds you of every bad thing you ever did in your life. He didn't leave anything out. You might think it's something that you've forgotten years and years ago, and sometime, sometimes in the middle of the night or in the middle of a conversation with somebody, he'll remind you of what you did, and then he'll tell you you're not righteous. He'll tell you you're not even saved. But it's a lie. He's the father of lies. The other thing that happens when we sin is that sin makes us cowards. that resonate with anybody here? It makes us afraid 
to go before God and confess our sins. It ought to be the first thing we do. You know, as soon as it happens, we ought to go before God and confess our sins and be cleansed from all our unrighteousness in our soul. <clears throat> it makes us afraid to go to our prayer room and talk to God, just, you know, fellowship with God. It makes us afraid to do that. Because Satan keeps reminding you that you just did this, you just did that, you just did that. God's going to slap you down. He doesn't. He loves you with all his heart. And if you will confess your sin to him, he doesn't pound on you and say, you knew better than that, you shouldn't have done that. God doesn't do that. He redeems you right then from that sin. He makes you righteous again right then in your soul. You're still righteous in your mind, remember. I mean, in your spirit, remember. But he makes you righteous in your soul. Then you want to go to him. So the, we ought to just go running to him every time we do a sin. But we don't do that. We try to regain our feeling of righteousness by doing some things. And speaking for myself, you know, used to I'd make the bold statement, I'm never going to do that again. Two or three days later again, I'd do it again. You know, I'd say a bad word, you know, whatever. Whatever it was, I'd do it again. <clears throat> so we try harder. We work up our, our determination and say, I'm never going to do that again. But we do, right? The second thing we do is sometimes we'll try to set new criteria. <laughs> As if we're the ones who could set the criteria. You know that doesn't work? Does everybody know that doesn't work? Because as soon as you set new criteria, you'll be tempted to break that criteria too. So that doesn't work. We have to remember that that, doing that, those attempts are what's called self-righteousness. In other words, you're trying to make yourself righteous within what you can do and say. You can't get righteousness that way. You only get it through the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting Him as your Savior and then renewing your mind. It's the only way. Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish, <laughs> having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, hey dummy, that's not going to work. Has the Holy Spirit ever talked to any of you like that? He does me. He's never called me a dummy, but he, he makes me feel like a dummy sometimes because he makes things that I see as so difficult really so simple. You know, all of God's principles are really simple. We and theologians and Scholars and all that have worked overtime for eons to dig into the depths of all these principles and make them more complex than they really are. God knows that most of us are simple-minded, and he takes that into account as he ministers to us his principles and his life-saving precepts. 
Again, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in our soul. <clears throat> Isaiah 6.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, and He has covered me with His robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as an, a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What we have to remember is that sin doesn't remove the robe of righteousness. You have it forever. But what it does do is it stains that robe. It stains it. There's a spot there. Confession cleanses that robe of righteousness again so that it's spotless and clean just like it was when you first put it on the day you were born again I think that's a really important thing righteousness must be received by faith there is no other way Romans 1 16 I don't have that so can you put it up Romans 16 for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith in the Word. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We remember the, the definition of justification. Just is receiving justification. The, the just have to live by faith. You know, it's important to use your mind and to use your, your intellect and to use the things that God has made available to us, but we first have to live by faith. And th there's a difference between belief and faith. You know, you can believe something is true, but not have faith in it. I remember the first time I ever was in an airplane. I was 19 years old, and I believed that airplane could fly, but my faith wasn't there that it would fly, and I was scared. You understand the difference? If, if, if I took this chair and set it out here, I would believe that that chair would support my weight if I sat on it. And because I have faith in what I know about that chair, I would sit in it, and it would hold me up. Follow what I'm saying? There's a difference between believing. Believing is just giving mental assent that you believe something is true. Faith means that you're willing to act on what you believe. You're willing to sit in the chair or fly in the airplane. You have faith. And faith doesn't mean that sometimes you're not scared or timid about something you believe, so you're exercising your faith by, by doing what you need to do to do the works part of believing doesn't mean that you don't have thoughts that maybe this isn't going to work or maybe this won't happen. But what it does mean is that you're willing to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and step out and do something that demonstrates that you believe what he says and you trust what he says. <clears throat> Galatians 3.11 says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, 
For the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If you're not willing to act on your faith, if you're not willing to take the step, then that doesn't please him. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not improbable, maybe it won't, no one ever. You have to live by faith in order to please God. And that doesn't mean that you're a faith giant, right, ten minutes after you get born again, but it means that you've started a process whereby you exercise your faith. You know, if you go to the gym, you see all these big muscle men in there lifting weights and all that kind of thing. They didn't always look like that. They've been exercising those muscles for a long period of time. Faith works exactly the same way. The more you exercise it, the stronger your faith becomes. But you have to do it. You have to exercise it. Uh, James 2.26 says, Faith without works is dead. And then faith speaks. Just what I've been talking about. Romans 10.8 says, But what does it say? The word. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And you've, you know, you've been taught this in this church before that you have what you say. The word says, out of the mouth the heart speaks. And you'll eat the fruit of what you say. So you, you, you have what you say. So I'm encouraging you today to receive your righteousness by faith. And if you get that down in your spirit, if you really get it down in your spirit and you're willing to act on your faith, you'll be bold to speak. Doesn't mean you might, might not be a little timid in the beginning, you know, and not be quite so bold, but eventually you'll build your faith up to where you are bold to speak. And you'll speak health. You'll speak prosperity. You'll speak deliverance. Anything else that you need that the Word of God has promised to you. And if you don't know what the, God, what the Word of God has promised to you, you need to get in there and find out what it is. There's so many promises in the Word of God that are available to you. You know, the Word says that we're joint heirs with Jesus. We're entitled to everything that Jesus is entitled to. Not because we're so great. It's not based on what we are. It's based on what Jesus is and what he did for us. So we're joint heirs with him. And we can have all those promises that are promised to him. If we're willing to exercise our faith and act on our faith. It takes a while to work up to this, but if, if, you'll, if you'll embrace these things that I've talked about today, you'll get to the place where you feel confident that you can ask whatever you need of our gracious Father and be assured that He hears you. You can trust Him. You can believe in Him. He's our Father. He's our Savior. And he, he loves us. <clears throat>